it's something I wish someone had told me it's long ago on my journey. And that is that you make sense. You make sense. Every single part of you makes sense. And if you make sense, it means you're not broken. And if you're not broken, it means healing is possible. Your system knows how to heal. It just needs to be shown the way. And that's what this work does. My name is Francesca Phillips, and you're listening to The Good Space Podcast, a show where we help you find peace and power in work, relationships, and intuition. Have you ever felt conflicted when listening to a podcast episode because you want to take notes on the insights that you're receiving, but at the same time, you're cooking or cleaning or working out and it's not really convenient to do so? Well, we have got you covered. Starting in September, we are going to have a paid membership where after every interview that's released on the Good Space podcast, we will create a one-page PDF of all the greatest insights and takeaways from that episode, as well as action items that you can do to integrate the learnings from that episode. So you can cook, clean, do whatever it is that you like to do while you're listening to a podcast. And then later, you know, you will have the great takeaways and the notes that you need to integrate it into your life. So it's a win-win. You will also get monthly email courses on topics like law of attraction, ego, wealth, manifesting, teaching you ways that you can integrate those principles more into your life. We'll have free iPhone wallpapers, coloring pages with affirmations, as well as community activities like weekly stand-ups, or we could do monthly Q&As. A lot of it is still being built and created with input from the community. So if this sounds awesome to you and there are other things that you would even want to add to it, like please get on our waiting list. Let's chat, join the membership, join the community because you will also be supporting the Good Spaces mission, which is to help people get the tools they need to feel peace in their life. So there's so much goodness that comes from this. Go to the show notes, sign up for our waiting list and let's go. Welcome to the Good Space Podcast. I am super excited to have Sarah Baldwin on the show today. And if you are someone that has experienced trauma or are curious about what trauma is, and you're looking for emotional space to process and to find that healing that you're looking for, then this episode is for you. And someone from the Good Space audience actually messaged me and said, Hey, could you have Sarah Baldwin on the show? And when I looked her up immediately, it was like, yes, yes. And yes. So I don't remember who told me, but thank you, whoever that was. So just a quick intro. Sarah Baldwin is a somatic experiencing practitioner and an embodied coach. She is also trained in polyvagal interventions and is on the training team at the polyvagal Institute. She specializes in somatic trauma, healing, somatic attachment work, nervous system regulation, and somatic parts and inner child work. Sarah, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And whoever said, hey, you should chat with Sarah. I'm really glad that they did because I love the work that you're doing and what you're doing uh, to help folks feel a little more understood and, and a place where they can come to get supported. So thank you for having me. Yes. And same. I feel so lucky that you wanted to come on and even just seeing your presence on Instagram, your website, everything is just so beautiful. And you're so giving of all this knowledge and information. And you can really tell that you care and that you have a specific mission. And before we dive in, I would love for you to share um, just a little bit 
so people can get to know you even more about what brought you to this work and what your mission is. My own healing brought me to this work and, and to get trained in the work that I do and, and to want to, to help the world. I think once we can, in any area of our life, once we see what we couldn't see before, we tend to want everybody to help everybody else do that. That's certainly how I feel. So uh, I have a complex trauma history, and that just simply means it's trauma that happened continuously, not just a single event. So in my childhood, I lived in a really unsafe home and was sexually abused most of my childhood and lots of neglect and and just a really unsafe uh, environment. And you know, we, we find amazing ways to adapt to lacking in safety, lacking in love, to horrors that happen to us. It's extraordinary. The world can make people feel like they're broken. And what I love is that neuroscience tells us the opposite is actually true, that we are incredible survival beings. And so I didn't know that, of course, for most of my journey, I thought I was broken. There's something wrong with me. I was stuck for decades and couldn't understand why. I couldn't step towards the life I wanted, even though I really wanted those things. Why did I feel so out of control in my system? Why didn't I remember anything? And so on and so forth. Why were relationships so hard? Why did I push people away when I really wanted to have connection? Why didn't I know? Why could I be talked out of my truth in three seconds? And I didn't really know what my truth was. And, you know, so on and so forth. I could go on and on. And then I, I, I came upon, you know, therapy first, talk therapy. And then I found uh, somatic healing. And that might be a new word for folks listening. And somatic healing, in, in essence, is embodied healing. And if I could distill it down most simply, cognitive work, cognitive therapy, is um, using our rational brain. And it's really helpful in a lot of areas. But when we've experienced trauma, or we have anxiety, depression, and so on and so forth, dysregulation, if anyone listening has ever tried to tell themselves, just calm down, there's nothing to be anxious about anybody, you can't raise your hand, but I'm sure there's someone listening who says, yes, I've tried to do that, or have felt like you're said to yourself, you know, why can't I just feel the love of from this person? Or why can't I just step towards them or be grateful for my life or just go do the thing? And that hasn't worked. Well, it hasn't worked because trauma and dysregulation lives in our bodies. It doesn't live in our brain. And that means that in our bodies, our bodies rather don't understand a cognitive language, meaning we can't talk our way into this kind of healing. But what we can do is feel our way into it. And that's what somatic work is all about. And so uh, when I started to doing begin doing that work, it uh, changed my life. I started to want to be alive. I started to get unstuck. Life became a lot easier. And I'll never forget, at one point in my journey, I said to the practitioner I was working with, you know, it's amazing how extraordinary the most ordinary things can be when you heal. And that's really true, um, how extraordinary just waking up on a regular Tuesday and feeling good is because for maybe folks listening, certainly for me, I didn't have that experience. So in doing my own healing and, and getting unstuck and feeling like, what? This is what life could be? Like, I had no idea that we could feel this way and that relationships could be enjoyable and easy and not terrifying and that I could just do the things I want to do and feel safe. I so deeply wanted the world to be able to experience that and to know that they make sense 
to know that we aren't broken because science shows us that, and then provide people tools to get unstuck, to come home, to have good relationships, and so on and so forth. So it led me to training and, and doing the work that I do now. It's incredible. And there are so many points of what you just said that really resonated. It was interesting because at some point along the way, you had to recognize that you were experiencing trauma. And like you were saying, you know, most of us, I mean, at least I don't know if this is what you said, but this is what I got from it is that we don't know that it's happening sometimes. And then, like you said, bodies don't know a cognitive language. And so in a sense, it's almost like a disconnection. And so how does someone know if they're experiencing trauma, if they don't have the language for it, if they are not having the tools or the recognition, like what is that? How can someone listening be like, oh, I'm experiencing trauma right now because I know trauma can manifest in so many different experiences. It can be smaller situations, larger situations. You said complex means it's you know happening over and over again, right? So yeah, how can someone, regardless of the experience, know that they're experiencing trauma? Hmm. So maybe I first just want to take a minute to explain what trauma is. It's become kind of a buzzword and and I think that's awesome and there's a there's a lot of confusion about what what the heck does this mean. So trauma isn't actually about an event. Trauma is about how any event overwhelms my system's capacity to process it. So any event that overwhelms my my system's capacity to process it. So what might be traumatizing for one person might not be for another. There are things that we certainly know are traumatizing, like emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, neglect. Those are all traumatizing assaults, of course, uh, violence in any way. And other things that are traumatizing, like being bullied, microaggressions in our work environment and toxic work environments, having to move all the time as a child. Our parents divorcing if they didn't know how to actually help us process that. And of course, not all divorces are traumatic, but can be if our parents can't hold space and they're activated. And so the thing with trauma is when we don't have safety after the traumatic event ends. So when the trauma ends, if I don't have safety, so a safe container and something called a mutually empathic witness, that means another human who has a regulated nervous system, who's creating space for me to feel seen, known, and understood. When we don't have those things, the trauma gets stuck and stored and locked in time. And that means that my system doesn't know that what happened is over. It thinks that it's still happening or could happen again at any given moment. So I'll give you an example of what that looks like. Let's say I was, well, I was, I was sexually abused as a child. So I didn't have a safe, didn't have a safe home. So there was no container for that to process and there was no safe person. So then what happens that gets locked in time. And then we have a threat detector. It's called neuroception. And literally folks can think about it like a lighthouse. It's working every single millisecond of our entire life. Its whole job is to say, is that safe or dangerous? Is that safe or dangerous? Safe or dangerous? Safe or dangerous? Every millisecond, which is so freaking cool, I think. I mean, I talk about this stuff all day, but I still think it's amazing. So how does it decide what's safe or dangerous? Well, it looks to this this container receptacle of past information. So, you know, I come into my adult life. I'm from New Hampshire. I moved to California, basically as far away from New Hampshire as you can be. I was born in 1986, so I'm not in like 1992 when my abuse started. I'm in, 
you know, whatever year it was here, let, let's say it was 2000. So not in the same place at all. I'm safe. But my system doesn't know that, right? So the threat detector says, so I would get into a relationship with a partner. At first, the threat detector says, I think this is safe because you know what? You were abused by people in your family. This person's not in your family. Safe. You can experience your sexuality. So I felt really safe to do that. But then let's say me and the partner move in together or we start to get closer and closer. And what does the threat detector say? It looks to this receptacle of past information and is like, well, this doesn't look very good. Wait a minute. Now they live with you. They're your primary person. You're leaning on them, et cetera. What do we have to look to? Oh, that reminds us a lot of this family member. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to definitely cut off your, your sexuality right now because something bad's going to happen. That's what trauma looks like. That's how trauma is relived. So then we go into a terror response when we're going to have a sexual experience. And this is, you can fill in the blank with anything. Authority figures. Let's say that you were made to feel small or you were reprimanded as a child. And then your boss says, hey, let's review that project that you did. And all of a sudden I get so anxious or I get frozen or shut down. Why is that happening? Because the threat, the threat detector is looking to that past information and saying, I know what's going to happen. You're going to be reprimanded. Let's protect you. That's how trauma is relived. So it doesn't end when the traumatic experience ends. It does end if I have a safe container. So that means a safe environment and then someone who can help me process it. And then that energy actually leaves our body. And, and the trauma is actually over. In trauma healing, that's what we're, that's in essence, that what, that's what we're doing. How do I actually show my system that what happened is over so I can live the life I want? I love how you explained it so simply and powerfully and applied it to life. And that's really, really wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And it kind of reminds me of Joe Dispenza when he teaches how our bodies learn to wire and fire a certain way, which become patterns, which are repetitions of the past because our bodies, like you said, they look to that container, that experience of like, oh, how do I handle this situation? Okay, let me go to this experience and then just keep doing that. And so without awareness of how that works, our state of being can often be something we don't want it to be because we're wiring and firing in a way that we're like, oh, this isn't going to serve me, but I feel stuck and I don't know how to change it. And so obviously if trauma is part of that wiring and firing, it is part of that experience that we look to, like you said, we have to show our bodies that we're safe enough to change and move forward. And almost like having the mind lead the body instead of the body leading the mind. In that sense, how do we teach our bodies to feel safe? How do we start that process? Yeah. Well, and, and I realized as you said that I didn't answer your question. I went on such a tangent. First, I'm going to answer it. But first, I just want to say 80% of information is subcortical, meaning 80% of information is in our bodies. That 80% of that is sent up to our brains, to our cortical experience. And only 20% is mind to body. So that tells us if 80% is in our bodies, we better start addressing what's happening in our bodies. And that actually changes what's happening in our brains. It changes uh, our brain chemistry. So a couple, a couple things that are important for listeners. Really simple cue or, or rather prompt that I would invite people to think about. After a dysregulating event occurs, dysregulation is, is just self-protection. But dysregulation is things like anxiety, worry, frustration, fear, panic, freeze, terror, rage, hopelessness depression, dissociation, feeling in a funk, apathy, anything that doesn't register as good for you 
is probably a dysregulated experience. So after a dysregulating experience, when we start to feel a little more here and a little better, I invite you to ask yourself, did my reaction match the circumstance? Did my reaction match the circumstance? So here's a quick example of that. Let's say I'm in partnership with someone. I want to tell them something exciting. Like, hey, today at the end of the day, I want to tell you this amazing thing that happens. And they're like, cool, great, can't wait. And we're sitting together and I'm telling them this exciting thing that's happening. And their phone vibrates. And then they look down at their phone for a second. Like, is that great? No, definitely not great. But let's say my response is all of the sudden I just shut down. And there's like a steel wall I put up in front of me and thoughts are like, I'm never sharing something with you again. You don't care about me. Why would I, why did I even try to do this? And I just like, I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Let's talk about it. No, I don't want to talk to you. So for anyone listening, see how that doesn't really match the circumstance. It's a lot bigger than what happened. So what does that tell me? It tells me that a big part of my response is historical, meaning it's actually about the past. It's not actually about what's happening now. Now, does that excuse what's happening in the present? Absolutely not. But we want to be clear on that because otherwise we're making choices that are based in a self-protective response from the past versus the reality of what's happening in the here and now. So that simple prompt not when we're dysregulated, because guess what? The protective parts, if I'm feeling dysregulated, I'm like, yes, this matches the circumstance. So later, asking ourselves that prompt, that's really important. Then when we get the answer, oh, it didn't really match. What did this remind me of? Oh, it reminded me of how when I would come home from school, my parent would just be watching TV and wouldn't even look at me. And I had no one to share that with. Oh, interesting. So that means there's a young part that needs some help and support. And then I want to say, ask myself, in the experience with my partner, what was the unmet need? So I can really delineate what's about the present, what's about the past. And it might be, you know what, when we have check-ins, no phones. That's what I need. Cool. Now I'm really clear. Instead of, I need to leave this relationship because this person is a narcissist. Maybe not. Maybe they're not like my parent. You know what I mean? And then the second thing that I would invite folks to do is to begin compiling a toolbox of what's called regulating resources. Now, these are things that support me to come back into the here and now, back into regulation that aren't me talking my way into it, like rationalizing, like this person's safe, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't really help when I'm activated. But here's some, for example, let's say I am uh, feeling anxious. That means I'm in my state of mobilization. My system wants to move. So I would invite folks to think about what are things that help me when I have this fidgety energy to feel calmer. That might be like going for a brisk walk, jumping up and down, dancing, humming, swaying, making uh, particular vibrational sounds. I have lots of regulating resources. I don't want to spend too much time on them in my on my uh, website and on my Instagram. But there are any tools that we can, doing some yoga, doing some meditation, things that can help support our systems to see, whoa, whoa, we just traveled time. We went to the past and we got to get you back here in 2021, which is what it is right now. Can I help you come back here? And and regulating resources help us do that. Now I'm just like, well, I want to, I want to watch all your videos and do all the things because I really resonate with that. And I, I've actually healed a trauma this last week 
that I didn't realize was still there. I did a breath work session with a friend who's being trained right now with this one method. And she is asking people if she can just try it for free to get the training and the experience. And I'm like, sure, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be good. And she says that trauma can sometimes pop up afterwards. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we did the breath work session for clarity. And the next morning, a trigger just like boom, out of nowhere happened. And I was, it was like the whole cycle, like anxiety, fear, panic. Oh, I'm going to be okay. But then diving again. And like, it was like a battle between the mental training that I've been doing the last couple of years and like what was still in my body. Never experienced that before. But I love that you mentioned having that toolbox because because I've been meditating every day for over a year, because I've been doing yoga, because I've been working on my mindset, those were things that I fled to when I was experiencing this. And when I asked my body, what do you need right now to process this? And it just said love. And so to me, that meant give it the space to feel what I need to feel. Because I think in the past, I would resist and fight and not let myself feel things. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) I didn't even know, first of all, that was trapped. And then the amount of knowledge that your own body has when you allow it to communicate to you is just incredible. And so I'm sure you have even more tools that each of us could, could go towards, but I can definitely testify to the power of having that in your life. So that's, that's amazing for trauma. Then what happens if you leave it untreated? If we aren't able, don't have the resources, don't have the availability of trauma healing work. Cause by the way, not all therapists are actually trauma trained. It's a very, it's a very different thing. When that doesn't happen, as I mentioned, it becomes stuck and stored and locked in time. An evolutionary example that I give that I think could be helpful for people is let's say when to understand this, let's say when we were hunting and gathering, I was, you know, whatever, gathering somewhere in some field and I heard a lion. And it was maybe an, an eighth of a mile away. So it's, it's, it's some ways away. The threat detector would say, oh, that's not safe because we have this receptacle of, of information, meaning we have our generational trauma. I have a, f- a family member who was attacked by a lion. I've been taught that lions are dangerous. And so what does my system do? Without me even having to ask, it says, I'm going to call upon something called your sympathetic nervous system. This is our state of mobilization. So my system's saying, it's an eighth of a mile away. I think I can do something about this. I'm going to try to run away from it. When we're in this state, we shut down any sort of function that we don't actually need in that moment. We shut down our immune system function. We shut down our cognitive brain. Why in the world would I need to have rationalization or philosophize about what the heck is this earth thing we're living on, you know, hunting and gathering or anything else. I don't need to, I don't need to know that. And I don't, who cares if I get a cold, I'm trying to live and survive. I need all my energy to go towards that. So we open up something called our vagal break. We get our our heart rate super high, all blood flow and forget about digestion. Who needs to digest what I ate this morning? Shut that off because everything has to go to me getting away from this. If folks have ever heard the the expression, a parent could lift a car off the child, superhuman strength, that's exactly right. We do have superhuman strength when we are in self-protection because everything that we don't need gets shut down. So let's say then the lion gets closer. I'm not running away from it. I can't get away. My system immediately shifts gears and says, okay, I think we might get eaten alive here. So I don't want you to have to feel the pain of that. And it's so beautiful to me that when 
our systems are saying, I can't fight this thing. I can't flee this thing. It says, I'm going to cloak you in something called your dorsal vagal complex. This is your state of immobility shutdown. And when you're here, you can actually leave your body so you don't have to feel the pain of what's happening. I think that is so extraordinary loving that our systems can do that for us. If we experience trauma in our home as a child or in a workplace environment that we couldn't leave, it is really common that we resource this space. So let's say I was attacked, but I somehow survived it. I go back to my, my village, but I don't have any safety there. So what happens is my system locks that in time. And then what does it do? It thinks there's going to be a lion attacking me at any given moment. So it's saying, I have to mobilize all the time. It might say, let's go to that state. So then I live in this sympathetic nervous system. What does that mean? It means that my immune system is going to be shut down long-term. It means my gut is going to be, my digestion is going to be shut down long-term. It means that no matter how hard I try to read something over and over and over, I just can't seem to comprehend what it is in the world that I'm reading because my prefrontal cortex isn't working, my thinking brain. So a long way of answering your question is my system doesn't know the alliance attack is over. So it's not going to let me come into safety and just be picking berries in a field somewhere because it thinks there's a lion right there. So then what does that look like in our lives? It looks like experiencing stuckness, not being able to step towards the purpose we want, um, not the relationships we want, the being seen, known, heard, et cetera. If those things weren't safe. It looks like having autoimmune issues, looks like getting sick a lot, looks like not being able to process information. And, and that's not happening because we're broken. It's happening because our system is saying, I've been keeping you self-protected for 20 years or five years or a year or whatever. Um, so those are some of the things that happen when trauma doesn't get resolved. Kind of going back to the few steps that you gave us about, um, you said asking a certain question, right? When after the traumatic, re, like reliving the traumatic event happens, and then you kind of delineate and like, break apart where it came from. So if someone listening heard those symptoms and they're like, wait, I'm experiencing trauma right now. First of all, make sure you try those few steps just to see how it feels. But then also when you're in the fit of dysregulation, when you are, you you know, your thinking brain is turned off. What do we do? Do we go to that toolbox or is there another method or thing to do in the middle of that experience? Yeah. So great question. And um, I just want to first mention the difference between experiencing trauma and experiencing a trauma response. Trauma is the, the actual event is happening right now. A trauma response is my system thinks it's happening right now, but it's not. So those are the, the difference between an actual traumatic event and a trauma response. And most of us are having trauma responses. We're safe, but our system thinks the lion is still attacking us. So when, when we're dysregulated, our work is to show, not tell my nervous system that I'm safe now. Show, not tell. I often say that this work is show, not tell. I cannot tell it because it can't hear that. It doesn't understand that language. So when we're in that, our sympathetic nervous system, 
there's different things that we want to do for regulation. So our sympathetic nervous system is our state of mobilization. This is where agitation, worry, fear, frustration, anger, rage, terror, all live. When we're here, our thoughts are racing. They're really fast. Our thoughts are about just to, for people listening so they can see which state they might be in. The overarching experience is I must do something now. It feels like there's a ticking time bomb. Uh, we feel fidgety, agitated, like we're on a roller coaster. Our stomach is in knots or butterflies, uh, heat in our bodies, tunnel vision, um, and so on and so forth. That's the marinated experience of our sympathetic nervous system. So when we're here, our system wants to move. It's trying to mobilize. So what we don't want to do is say, if I'm deep in this state, just sit down and meditate. That would be like saying, if you were being chased by a lion and I said, let's just stop and sit down here and meditate. Your system would say like, what the hell are you talking about? If you from this lion, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, right? So if anyone listening has tried to like, just don't do anything, just sit here and try to calm down and it makes you more anxious. Yes, you're a well-working system. Of course it does. This is a such an important thing about somatic healing and nervous system regulation that I hear people in the self-help world get wrong all the time. Not all regulating resources are appropriate. When we're in this sympathetic state, we want to let our system move, especially if the lion theoretically, like let's just use the analogy, is close, meaning I'm more activated. If I'm just a little worried, like I'm just a little worried, it's not that bad, maybe meditating would be helpful. But if I'm feeling like panicky or or, or anxious, not going to be helpful. So that might be something like, I'm going to go for a run, go for a drive in my car so I can move. I'm going to do some shaking. I'm going to do something, uh, a breath work um, sequence. um, That's the four, seven, eight breath. I'm going to inhale for four seconds. This is a really good one when you're in sympathetic. Hold your breath for seven seconds and exhale through your mouth like you're blowing out a candle for eight and do that three times. Not all breath work is created equal. So when I'm in the mobilizing state, the state I just talked about, you want shorter inhales and longer exhales, not to get into too much of the neuroscience, but that brings in part of our parasympathetic nervous system or calming energy. So we want, we don't want to do that when we're feeling shut down, but if we have all this energy, we do. So thinking about things that help your system to move, what are those things for everybody and creating a toolbox. If you're in your state of shutdown, so this is when like the lion's going to eat me. And this is where we experience hibernation. Think of it like a bear going to hibernation. For many listeners, I think about relationships and argument. This happens all the time. So we're getting a fight and we're both in sympathetic. And I'm like, no, you need to hear me. And I don't know why you're not listening to what I'm saying. And they're like, I don't know why you're not listening. And we go round and round and round and round until finally my system says, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to just shut down. So all of a sudden I'm apathetic. I say, I don't even care. Whatever you win. I don't care. And we actually really don't. That what means what happened there is my system said, I don't think I can mobilize around this. So let's just shut you down. And this is where apathy lives. Apathy is just like, man, I don't care. I don't care what I eat. I don't care what I do. It doesn't matter to me. Nothing. And I feel nothing. I'm starting to become numb. This is where hopelessness lives. Feeling in a funk is Uh, depression, dissociation, feeling separate from the world. Our senses are actually muted, so we can't hear as well. Our vision's kind of fuzzy. We feel out of it. When we're here, we want to bring in gentle mobility. Gentle. 
Think about a bear coming out of hibernation. It doesn't like sprint out. You know, it's very slow. It starts to blink its eyes and then it starts to move its paw or whatever. So for us, we want to bring in gentle movement. Otherwise, if we bring in too much, our system's like, what are you doing? And it'll go further into dissociation. So this looks like coming back into our body. If we're here doing something like smelling an essential oil that's strong, touching something and really feeling it all support us to come back into our system, holding an ice cube. What does that do? It helps me to sit my body to see I'm safe to be here. Um, humming is really helpful. Uh, tapping is really helpful. Feeling grass on your feet, listening to sounds outside of a window, connecting with a safe person. Now that might be an animal for some of us feel safer than, than people. So when we're in the shutdown state, gentle mobility. When we're in that mobilizing state, a lot more mobility. So creating a toolbox of things that can support you and you just try things out. Of course, in my work, there's, there's lots of therapeutic tools that I give folks, but I also create toolboxes with people, things that help us to come here. And that's what we want to use when we're dysregulated. I'm really glad you ended that part with how you work with people because that was my next question. Of course, I can go on your Instagram or I can look up different techniques, but when someone is like, I need help, I need to go to someone like Sarah, what does that process look like? So what my job is to, to speak the language of our protective parts, speak the language of our nervous systems. Most of our stuckness we experience is because our truest self is saying, I really want to do these things. The protective parts are saying, it's not safe to do these things. They have 500 million years of evolution behind them. And so they're going to win. And then we're stuck. I try to take a step forward. They say, no, it's not safe to do that. And I'm stuck and I'm stuck and I'm stuck. So my work is how do I teach people how to speak the language of the protective parts? And how do we start going at the rate that's tolerable for them? When we do that, we get unstuck. So that's the principle of the work that, that we're doing. And part of that is beginning to regulate our nervous system. So I think of our nervous systems as like a violin. And a violinist can hear, I'm not a violinist, but they can hear the most subtle shifts in a note. I'm, I have no idea. I'm like, that sounds pretty good or great. My job is to teach everyone how to be a violinist for their own systems so that you know, like you know, like you know, at any given moment, where am I in my nervous system? Wherever I am, I have tools to begin shifting my experience. I can regulate myself. If I feel stuck, shut down, overwhelmed, I am teaching people how to know that and then what to do to change it. And what we're doing in the process is reshaping our nervous systems, which means spending more of your life regulated and less of your life dysregulated. And when you are dysregulated, you know how to get back into presence. And that's powerful. That means that no matter what comes into my life, external circumstances, I'm safe and I'm okay. And I'm in charge and I know what to do to navigate that. So that's the foundation. And then I do somatic attachment work. So we'll talk about how does this relate to your relationships, to finances, to purpose, to partnerships, to community. And how do we begin shifting those things? How do we set boundaries that are based in our truth? How do we greet the young parts of us that show up a lot more than we probably think? And so much more. But we are doing it from a really different place than just cognitively talking about what, what's happening. We're getting to what's underneath that and, and beginning to shift people's embodied experiences. I'm so glad that you do this work because I'm thinking of all the people who don't have someone in their life that can help them work through 
problems. It was something like a regulated person or what a gift that there are people like you that we can go to, to get that empowerment in our life. Cause that's truly what it is, is you're empowered to process the way that you want to process and heal and, and be empowered. And it's just, that's so wonderful. So we had a listener question from Kelsey come in and she had a few like quick ones that she wanted to know. And she was curious how clients end up finding you and your work. And then do you need to find someone local to do this kind of coaching with, or is it a virtual experience? So this work doesn't have to be done in person, can be done in person. There's a touch component that happens a lot in somatic work, which also really cool can be done virtually. Our systems can actually take in, like if I said, notice my hand on your back, our systems can take that in, which is really cool. So all of my work is virtual. There's also a lot of somatic practitioners who work in person. So if that's something that feels like, you know, I feel like that would be safer for me or more supportive, I would invite you to listen to what your system is saying is safe. Traumahealing.org is a wonderful place to find somatic experiencing practitioners who are trained in the work that I'm talking about, trained in trauma healing work. And most people find me after having probably done some talk therapy, not that that's necessary, but saying like, okay, I've done these different things and I'm still stuck in this way. What the heck do I do? And and oftentimes those are the people that um, that come to me in my work, um, but not always. Sometimes it's people that somehow this weird algorithm thing that Instagram is shows up and they're like, who's this wacky woman. Let me watch a video. So in terms of me, that's usually how people find me Instagram. Also, I'm just on a random note, kind of, I saw on your website that there's a public education aspect of the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, which absolutely is amazing because it's more of a proactive approach, I feel, right? And also kids, like if you can get them at that age to have these tools, how different will our world look? I mean, are you involved in programs like that? Or what does that look like in schools? Like, I'm just curious what that means. Yeah. I mean, one of my uh, moonshot goals that I don't think is a moonshot, but I'm not seeing it that way, is that uh, to get this changed in in legislation so that uh, it is in every school, that every teacher is trained in polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation because a a traumatized child can't learn and their brain just isn't available to learn. And so then they're made to feel like something's wrong with them. That's sure sure was my experience. So that's a, a big goal that I have. There are programs that are already starting to to begin doing that. Um, I try to provide myself as many free for for listeners who can go to my my page and I do a lot of free webinars and a lot of free teaching series. And I post a video every week to to show you how you make sense and tools to change your experience because um, I want this work to be accessible, not just to a few people, but to everyone. The mental health model was really created by upper middle class white men. And it's about time that that started to change. And you know that that it's accessible to everybody to people that that really need it in a remote part of Minnesota, or in a third world country, or in other places uh, around our world. So my the beautiful thing about technology is that we can reach more people and something I care a lot about. So if someone listening wants to learn more from you, can you let me know what you have going on or where they can find you? And we'll make sure that everything you mentioned is linked in the show notes. So it's just super easy to get to. 
folks can can find me at uh, Sarah with an H B the letter B uh, coaching on Instagram and I'm teaching in my stories most days and I post lots of IGTV videos and also I have a lot of different programs to to reach people at every socioeconomic level so I have um, community programs that are as um, inexpensive as twenty dollars a month I have courses that I offer. I have small group programs. I have hybrids of both of those things. And there's the the next thing that that is coming that I offer twice a year in September is my small group program. It's a four-month program where we meet once a month and it's groups of of 12 to 20 people. So it's the most, it's a way to work with me in the most um, intimate environment to have individual support. And then I have courses that have hundreds of people in them and, and are more affordable. That will be coming in October. But there's lots of information folks can find on my Instagram about that. Great. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for your time and for sharing everything that you have. And if there's one thing that you hope someone could walk away with today, what would you want that to be? It's something I wish someone had told me. It's long ago on my journey. And that is that you make sense. You make sense. Every single part of you makes sense. And if you make sense, it means you're not broken. And if you're not broken, it means healing is possible. Your system knows how to heal. It just needs to be shown the way. And that's what this work does. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon or collaborate at some point in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor to be here with you. And for those of you listening, it was so good to connect with you. Now it's time for an affirmation. I breathe in deeply to expand. Pause to take this moment in, then exhale to release. If you found today's tips inspiring or thought-provoking, share it right now on social media and make sure to tag me at Francesca A. Phillips or at Find Your Good Space and also weigh in in the comment section at findyourgoodspace.com. You can find links in the show notes. And if you have a spiritual or mindfulness problem that you want me to unpack on an upcoming The Good Space episode or an awesome manifesting story you want to share, give my podcast phone line a ring right now at 917-719-0867. Also, don't forget to download my free morning routine guide. It's what helps me reduce my anxiety, increase productivity, and so much more. The link to everything I mentioned is in the show notes. See you soon.